get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. This is the Character and Smallman Podcast on 101 ESPN. A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Character and Smallman's Fresh Take. Powered by Schnucks. Eat good to feel great at Schnucks on 101 ESPN. This is always an exciting day because the new Cardinal Hall of Famers are going to be revealed tonight at 6 here. uh, Actually, not here, but on FS Midwest. The Cardinal President, Bill DeWitt III, is going to join Dan McLaughlin in Scoops with Danny Mack coming up between 10 and 11 here on 101 ESPN. And Michelle, this year's nominees and voting has closed, but we will learn tonight the two Cardinal fan choices to be inducted into the Cardinal Hall of Fame in August. The nominees this year were Steve Carlton, Keith Hernandez, Tom Herr, Matt Morris, Edgar Renteria, Lee Smith, and John Tudor. And uh, you obviously are a Cardinal fan and somebody who is appreciative of their history. Who'd you vote for? The crazy thing about this, Randy, is that you can't go wrong with who you vote for. These are all very, very worthy nominees. I always tend to defer to players that I saw during my lifetime that I really got Mm -hmm. to enjoy watching while I was growing up. So I would go with Edgar Renteria and Matt Morris, although Keith Hernandez for me would certainly be in the conversation. Those are both great calls, and I think Edgar will make it sooner rather than later. He might be voted in tonight. I voted for Keith Hernandez. He was the Cardinals... uh, only MVP winner in the 70s. He won in 1979, co-winner with Willie Stargell. He won six gold gloves at first base for the Cardinals. May have been, people that have seen a lot of baseball will tell you that he is the best defensive first baseman in the history of the game and honed those skills here. A key member of the 1982 World Championship team. And one of the reasons that I vote for him is because... I was an usher down on the first base side during a lot of that time, 1980, 81, 82, part of 83. And Keith Hernandez, for what I would argue is the best defensive infield in the history of the game, Obergfell, Smith, Her, Hernandez. Keith Hernandez, to me, was the guy who glued that all together. And I know Whitey says that for the team, Tommy Her was the glue guy. But... Hernandez was in constant communication with the dugout in regards to where the infield should be set up. And a lot of times they would listen to him. He would, he would go, Whitey, and he's a Jay, and then Whitey would nod. So wow. he was just a brilliant baseball player. And also, not an exceptionally fast guy, but a perfect, not just a very good, but a perfect base runner. Never made a base running mistake. He was sensational. And by the way, if he played now, he would be a baseball Hall of Famer because he was playing in a park where it was 414 to center field. It was 385 to the alleys and 365 down the lines. You couldn't hit home runs. But if he played now with these ballparks and this ball, he'd hit 30, 35 home runs a year. And wow. he, he would be a baseball Hall of Famer. So Hernandez is one of them. And then John Tudor has the highest winning percentage of any pitcher in Cardinal history. Left-hander won 20 of 21 down the stretch in 1985. Started off 1-7 in his Cardinal career. And 
I would put him in for that year. But he was also such a key in 1987 when they won the pennant. And just when you look at that body of work of all the great Cardinal pitchers ever to have the best winning percentage, um, John Tudor to me is right there. He should be a Hall of Famer. That winning percentage, by the way, 705. 70% of his decisions were wins. So uh, he's going for every 30 starts that he makes, he is going okay, 21 and uh, well, if he's getting decisions in all of them, 21 and 9 for each of those 30 starts that he's making. When you go and look at the ballot, when they list each of these players, they have their resumes of their accomplishments Mm -hmm. underneath and I know that other fan bases tend to look at Cardinals fans and say how spoiled we are. And honestly, when you look at these players that we've been able to witness during the time that we've loved baseball and the winning that we've seen, it just really illustrates the fact that you could choose any of these players and they would be worthy members of the Cardinals Hall of Fame. The fact that the, that the BFIB has such an amazing group of talent mm-hmm. to choose from every year is so special. You think about the classes that they put in since 2014 and they get to put into a year. Not many franchises can do this. 2014, it was Edmonds and McGee as the fan selections. I'm just going to give you the fan selections here. 2015, Ted Simmons and Bob Forsh. 2016, Chris Carpenter will join us at 9.30 and Joe Torrey. 2017, Pepper Martin and uh, Mark McGuire I'm sorry, Mark McGuire and Tim McCarver. Uh, 2018, Vince Coleman and Ray Langford. 2019, Izzy and Scott Rowland. And now you'll have two other great ones last year and plenty of other great Cardinals to put into a year for the foreseeable future. It's amazing. It is amazing. All right, one of the other big sports things that's happening this weekend. So we've already talked about the match, the golf with uh, Tiger and Phil and Peyton and uh, Tom Brady. Uh, We've talked about the the Cardinal Hall of Fame, and we will have, hopefully, word on the NHL coming back because the players are voting. The NHLPA is voting on a return-to-play plan. Baseball, we hope, is moving forward. By early next week, we'll have word on the NBA. But maybe the biggest thing is that Michelle Smallman is getting her hair done. We're reopening, and we're, you've, you've got the, the salon visit scheduled. How are you feeling about this? It's weird because it's something that I have been wanting to do for months. And I'm sure a lot of people out there, a lot of women are saying my roots are terrible. A lot of guys are saying I shaved my head or I need a haircut. My hair is so long. It's one of those creature comforts that you did so routinely that when it's taken away from you, you, you've craved it. And it's, it's such an indicator to me of a sense of normalcy to be able to go into a salon and get your hair done. You know, for some people, whether it's getting your nails done, there's just a whole bunch of different things that are little luxuries that were taken away from you. And I have been looking forward to this day. It's been circled on the calendar for quite some time. And now that it's here, I'm kind of nervous. I don't know what the experience is going to be like. It's the first time that I've really gone into you know, for lack of a better term, a public setting mm-hmm. with people that is not an environment that has been controlled by me. Yeah, you have really done a great job yeah. of quarantining. It's been home or the grocery store, basically, yeah. right? Yeah, work, home, grocery store every essentially two weeks. And if that's not if it's delivered, I've been taking it very seriously, as I know a lot of other people have. So, yeah, I'm sure a lot of people are experiencing this, whether it was the first time that they went back to work or wherever it is that they're going now that some of these restrictions are getting loosened up, where you, you go into a place that you're very comfortable going, but you just haven't done it for a long time. and You don't know what it's going to be like with everyone wearing their masks and how everyone's following different guidelines. So while I'm excited, I am interested to see how the experience will play out. And it's nice to have a familiar face. I'm going to get my hair cut tomorrow, too, at nice. the Chesterfield Hair Saloon. Paige cuts my hair. And that level of familiar- 
familiarity, I think, makes it easier. I'm sure that you have somebody that's cut your hair forever, right? So just being able to go somewhere where you see a friendly face that's covered by a mask, but still, you see a, a friendly face, and uh, it's it'll just be a comfort level for all of us that we get to do something kind of normal again. You know, other than your spouse, really one of the most intimate relationships in your life is your hairdresser. Because you sit in this chair, you talk to them about your life, and you have to trust them. When you say, hey, yeah. I, I want you to cut my hair this way, you trust that this person is going to be able to do what you want them to do and not make you look like a fool. I think it's totally different for women than men. I think the, the female salon is basically a gossip house. <laughs> and for the males... A gossip house. It is. And for the males, it's they've got ESP going and ordinarily and not in these times but ordinarily they've got a little putting green set up and you've got checkers and chessboards and you go in and you talk to your stylist about uh, what's going on with work or family but there's no real gossip it's just small talk so uh, but I think that the, the female haircutting experience is dramatically different than the male haircutting experience. And by the way, I think I speak factually here. And uh, women that are hairstylists, please text in 65780. When I talk to people that have cut my hair, that have cut women's hair in the past, mm -hmm. they talk about how high-maintenance women are and <laughs> how, there is, how much gossip there is. And with men, it's just so much easier because you, they come in, they get their hair cut, it takes 20 minutes, bing, you're out of there. Yeah, I was going to say, it's because of the length of time that you're in the chair. I, I'm there for, I'm going to be there today at least two hours, mm -hmm. if not more, because you have to talk about what you're going to do. You have to apply the color. You have to wash it. Then you're cutting it. You're blow drying it. You're styling it. I mean, we're talking like a six, seven step process here. Yeah. And that takes a long time. So when you're just in and out, you can make easy, small chit chat. How's the weather? Have you watched Tiger King? What's quarantine been like for you? Right. Well, you know, coming on one hour 49 minutes for me yeah we're gonna get into some deep stuff because i have been there for a long time <laughs> that's michelle i'm randy and that's your fresh take here on character and smallman on 101 espn next up we're gonna head back to the brown and crouppen celebrity line our buddy joey vitale is going to relive the blues advancing to the stanley cup finals we'll have that game for you tonight the replay of what happened a year ago yesterday and joey v will talk about it in our blues booth next on 101 espn this is Carriker and Smallman. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues Booth. The Blues Booth presented by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. The home show sale is going on now at Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. Update your home with savings on all types of flooring, including solid, reclaimed, wide plank, and more. Visit one of the showrooms in Crestwood, Manchester, St. Peter's, or online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. Great floors for every home with better selection, better value, and the best service. Joey Vitale with us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. Michelle and Randy. Michelle revealed during our last segment that she really does love those Entenmann's chocolate donuts. Microwaved for 13 seconds. Yeah. From the 314, this text, Michelle, the chocolate Entenmann's are absolutely the best. I don't eat donuts, but I eat those. Wow. So Joey Vitale obviously understands baking, having baked a lot of things over the course of his life and been to a lot of bakeries and has maintained incredible physical condition under those circumstances. Joey V, first of all, uh, good morning. How are you doing today? Well, Randy, I'm doing great now. Thanks for that great compliment. God, I needed that. I needed that because, you know, I haven't been stepping out in the public in a while, and, and that felt good. Yeah, I've been able to maintain somewhat good physique given all the donuts I've been eating but, you know, one thing that I've been managing well is I haven't had your carrot cake in a while, so that's kind of kept the pounds off. And it's funny, 
about your carrot cake. So my neighbors, I got to throw this out there really quickly. They're baking out of a Traeger. They're smoking out of their Traeger the other day. And you know when, like, your neighborhood, someone's smoking, all the dads are kind of sniffing out like <laughs> dogs. Yeah. We all get together. And so we're all kind of talking around this Traeger, and they're talking about their rubs, and they're talking about their cuts, and what, what butcher do they use. And out of nowhere, out of left field, I go, you guys ever throw a carrot cake on this thing? And I got some looks like you could not believe it. They thought I was, like, drunk or something. They're like, what are you talking about, V? I'm like, carrot cake? You ever throw a carrot cake on that thing? I'm like, you can't bake on a Traeger. I go, no, yes, you can. I had the best carrot cake of my life, Randy Character. <laughs> Thank you very much. And all they need to do is go to the Traeger website. The recipe's right there on the Traeger website, Joey. Ah, see, I should have told them that. That, that would have gave me a little bit more, um, I guess, a little bit more butt. Uh, a little more booty to my argument right there would help. You are so right about when somebody is barbecuing in the neighborhood and all the guys, hmm, somebody's barbecuing. wonder what that could be. Hmm. Yeah, you're exactly you know, right. Like they were doing a chicken, and the guy's like doing, you know, the chicken, you put the beer can underneath the chicken. Everyone does that now. Ooh, yeah. And the, the guy does uses a, he uses a Budweiser. And, and the one other guy neighbor's like, you can't use a Budweiser. That's a lager. He's like, why not? He goes, oh, you got to use stout. I, I, I use Guinness because Guinness, and he starts going into the chemistry. I'm like, you have no idea what you're talking about. He's like, oh, no, you always got to use a stout. There's some thickness to the meat. Huh. Uh, the, the lager goes right through it, and they're arguing about what beer to use for the beer can chicken. It's amazing. I love this. In my mind, as you guys are describing this, I'm picturing dads opening the front door and walking kind of like zombies on the street in their basketball shorts and a you know, beer in their hand, maybe a bathrobe like Tony Soprano. It's like, it's like they can't help it. They're drawn to the to the grill. That's just, you know, we, we have have to argue because we got to argue with someone else besides our wives and our kids for once. So whatever kind of argument that uh, can happen because of this um, smoking fiasco that's going on, we're, we're all in. Yeah, and when the absence of sports, you can't really debate anything, so you're going to debate over the grill. But, Joey, we talked earlier in the show yesterday, marked the one-year anniversary of the Blues advancing to the Stanley Cup Finals for the first time since 1970. Randy and I shared our experience of what it was like in Enterprise Center as we counted down to the final horn and Gloria played. Can you take us back to that day and how you remember it? Well, it was a very special one. For, for many reasons, uh, for the Blues going back to the final, we we, we just had a, a stranglehold on that series. And I hate to say it wasn't as exciting as the Dallas series, but quite frankly, to be honest with you, it wasn't as exciting to me as the Dallas series. The Dallas series, we were down in that series. We go to Dallas, backs against the wall. We battle back. We come home. We win in double OT. I mean, that was just sheer excitement. San Jose, you know, I've been talking to John Kelly. We, we, we talked about it a couple weeks ago on our show, and he said it was probably the easiest, series for the St. Louis Blues last year and, and I agree so as, as great as game six was you you just never felt that after that hand pass the Blues were going to give up any inch and those last three games of that series every game the final three after that hand pass they allowed two goals in the final three games of that series they pretty much just wiped the table with the San Jose Sharks so from a game standpoint from a series standpoint from an excitement standpoint it wasn't uh, quite what it uh, was mounted up to be compared to the Dallas series but the fact that the Blues were going to the Stanley Cup final again. I mean, seeing the trophy on the eyes, all the players staying away from it, Sammy Blay going down on one knee. I remember like yesterday, um, the gears quickly turned. You go from winning the Western Conference final, and then immediately, I mean, immediately, you look at the Boston Bruins. Now, keep in mind, guys, the Boston Bruins had been sitting on their bus for about a week mm -hmm. leading up to this final game because they had swept the Carolina Hurricanes. So they were just waiting, 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 hoping the Sharks and Blues would go game seven. Of course, the Blues uh, didn't do that. And then, so you immediately just shifted to the Boston Bruins. So as exciting as it was that night, 
And after talking to a lot of the players, they were thinking Boston, Boston, Boston. Uh, so as exciting as it was, you knew right away that the gears needed to shift quickly because the Blues were heading into probably their toughest opponent of the postseason. And Joey, Michelle and I were talking earlier about how happy we were that because of this year, the Blues won last year. But looking at it from a different perspective, the window of opportunity that the San Jose Sharks had was a long window. It might have been about 20 years. But the Blues, looks like, slammed that window of opportunity for them to win a Stanley Cup. They slammed it shut with that victory over the Sharks. I think two things happened uh, for the San Jose Sharks. Uh, well, I guess a couple, few things. But Pavelski, you look at uh, their captain leaving uh, because of what the Blues did to them last year. I mean, that's number one. You lose their heart and soul. I mean, this uh, Pavelski is just the heart and soul. Uh, he, he's a self-help guru. He reads books. He's a natural-born leader. He goes to the Olympics. He'll captain the Olympic team for the USA. I mean, so there's so much that they lost with Pavelski. But it all kind of spawned because they lost last year and he was a UFA. So... To your point, Randy, when you lose and you got to free up some UFA and you can't afford certain people, Joe Thornton, he's getting older. He can't hang on much longer. Uh, you signed Carlson to that lucrative deal. And I, I, listen, I know he is a Norris guy and he's got all kinds of talent in the world and his offensive instincts are incredible. But it kind of comes back to when you pay a player around $10 million, do you hamstring your team? So I think that was a uh, looking back hindsight 2020. Welcome back to Character and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. It's 835, which means it is time for the fight. Let's bring in Colin. Colin, what are we fighting for today? Our winner today will receive a gift card to BT's local restaurant pick of the week, Cybergs. Experience Cybergs' famous wing sauce. All Missouri Cybergs locations are now open for dine-in with limited seating following guidelines and social distancing while still offering carry-out and curbside pickup. We also have a chance for you to score a gift card all week on the 101 ESPN app for everyone not playing the fight today. Enter the code word BT. I guess today's your final day, so get on the app. Enter BT. It's free. The sense of urgency <laughs> should be there for everyone. And before we get into the fight here, Michelle, I want to go on a little bit about the hair situation. I know I had to have my hair cut by my girlfriend. It was a little bit of a scary process. It turned out okay, but I know a lot of people are going through weird hair things. I guess if you're a woman, you just kind of have been waiting this whole situation out. Uh, my mom asked me to cut her bangs, and I'm not going to lie, at first snip, <laughs> she looked a little like Mark Davis. I, I felt very badly about it, but then we kind of blended it. We went a little longer on the sides. I was able to help her out a little bit, but at the end of the day, I said, who's going to see you, Dad? I mean, it doesn't matter. By the time it grows to a point where you need to get it cut again, you can go to the salon. But uh, I have some guy friends I know that sh just shaved their heads. They were like, forget it. I'm not even going to mess with this anymore. So yeah, there's a lot of busted hair situations out there in desperate need fixing. It's it's funny you say that my girlfriend wanted to go with a fade and she initially was kind of inverting it. Luckily it was only just a little snip at the top and I can kind of cover it up with more of the hair up there. Nice. But the rest of it turned out fine. So now we're finally going to be able to get our hair done the way that we want it. So we I guess we can put all these stories to bed here. Well let's talk to Brian who is our fighter today. Brian how are you feeling this morning and give us an update. What's your quarantine hair situation looking like? <laughs> Hey uh, guys, I'm doing good. I actually went to the barber shop last Saturday. Oh, nice! I was in St. Charles, so they're all open. They, did, uh, I'm sure that felt good to go to the barber. Yep. So I'm clean, clean cut. 
Oh, my gosh. So he is fresh and ready to go. Let's see if it helps him in his fight today versus Randy. All right, Brian, question number one. Hall of Famer Roger Maris ended his career as a St. Louis Cardinal. How many World Series did Maris win while in St. Louis? One, two, or three? Um, it was one. Question number two. Which NFL Europe team did Kurt Warner play for in 1998? Is it the Barcelona Dragons, the Amsterdam Admirals, or the Hamburg Sea Devils? Go with Barcelona. Question number three, Brian. Peyton Manning finished second in Heisman voting in 1997. Who did he lose to? Was it Ricky Williams, Charles Woodson, or Eddie George? Let's go Woodson. And question number four, Don Coriel is famous for his Air Coriel offense, but he actually played on the defensive side of the ball in college. Which college did Coriel play defensive back for? Was it Mizzou, San Diego State, or Washington? Let's go Washington. All right. Colin is on his way out to get Randy. Let's see what Randy's working with. I love that name Hamburg Sea Devils. If I had an NFL Europe team, I definitely think I'd be rooting for the Hamburg Sea Devils just for the name alone. Sounds awesome. All right, Randy is entering the studio, giving the play-by-play here. As Randy gets settled, he's taking off his Cardinals mask. Randy, please say hello to your competitor today. Brian is on the line. Hey, Brian, thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. How are you doing this morning? Doing well, Randy. Thanks. How are you? I'm doing very well. We appreciate you taking some time with us today. Cool, thanks. Randy, question number one. Hall of Famer Roger Maris ended his career as a St. Louis Cardinal. How many World Series did Maris win while in St. Louis? Just 1967. That was the only one. Question number two, Randy. Which NFL Europe team did Kurt Warner play for in 1998? This was one of the most incongruous things of all time. Because Amsterdam has their famous red light district where they have uh, mm-hmm. many, many, many ladies of the night, and it's legal. <laughs> he played for the Amsterdam Admirals, the, perhaps the, uh, the greatest, uh, well, uh, of people I know, the most devout and uh, strong Christian Kurt is. For, for him to be in Amsterdam, of all cities, is just really incongruous. Amsterdam's beautiful, too, though. They have the, the canals. It's a very beautiful yeah, city. I th- I a lot of art. He, I think he enjoyed that part of it. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's just like St. Louis, Randy. We talked yesterday about, about certain establishments. You, right. you just, you yeah, we have your, an art museum. Yeah, you got to pick your spots, right? <laughs> all right. Peyton Manny finished second in Heisman voting in 1997. Who did he lose to? Uh, the only defensive player to win in the modern era was Washington, or Washington, Michigan's uh, Charles Woodson. He, uh, he, he beat Manning, and then obviously uh, Manning came out and did pretty well in the pros. All right, Randy, question number four. Don Coriel is famous for his air Coriel offense, but he actually played on the defensive side of the ball in college. Which college did Coriel play defensive back for? Don Coriel was, I read a book about Don Coriel during the pandemic here. Oh, nice. Uh, He was born in Seattle. He played at the University of Washington. He was a spectacular college head coach at San Diego State before coming to St. Louis and then going back to the Chargers. But he uh, spent his formative football years at the University of Washington. We've got a winner. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. The winner and still champion of the fight. Andy Carriker.
What a battle. Sorry, Brian. Randy with a clean sweep. He just edged you out 4-3. to three. Roger Maris won one World Series while in St. Louis, 1967. They beat Boston in seven games. Kurt Warner played for the Amsterdam Admirals when he played in NFL Europe. Peyton Manning finished second in the Heisman voting, too. Charles Woodson and Don Coriel played defensive back for Washington. Brian, thanks for playing. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. All right, Brian. Thank you very much. We appreciate you tuning in to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. The first big barbecuing and grilling weekend, the first holiday weekend of this summer is upon us, Memorial Day weekend. And if you're going to be grilling, you need some tips, you need some ideas, well, we've got answers for you from Chef Keith Brockman of the Weber Grill Academy. Your mic drops and texts for the chef are next on 101 ESPN. Michelle, I'm Randy. Great to have you with us as we start the Memorial Day weekend on 101 ESPN. And the chef for the Weber Grill Academy is Keith Brockman. He's with us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. And uh, we want your questions about how Keith can help you with your grilling or barbecuing this weekend. Chef, it's great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. Thank you so much for getting up and joining us. How are you doing today? Good. Good morning to you, Randy and Michelle. Uh, I'm doing great. I'm looking forward to some really good questions. Okay, well, first things first, Chef. We had our friend and blues broadcaster Joey Vitale on the show a couple segments prior, and he was talking about how all the dads in his neighborhood had a debate about beer can chicken when you're working with a beer can chicken on the grill. And the debate was, do you use a lager or a stout when you're grilling your beer can chicken? So I figured we would take it to you, the expert, to settle the debate. So what beer do you use? use when you're going to work in a beer can chicken? I drink the lager and I use the stout. (laughs) (laughs) The stout makes the chicken taste better. The lager just doesn't have enough flavor. All right. I am going to be doing swordfish this weekend. Is there any specific, and by the way, I will be using my uh, my Weber Genesis gas grill. Uh, Is there anything specific with a, a nice piece of swordfish that I should do? Okay, so people are always asking me about fish, and the secret to fish is you want to make sure your grill is hot. And uh, a little Weber way, one of the things we tell everybody is oil the food, not the grill, because everybody's afraid that the fish will stick to the grill. Make sure your grill is nice and hot, and then take a very light oil, maybe a light vegetable oil. I like to use avocado oil um, and uh, oil the outside of the fish season the fish, the oil will also help the seasoning stick to the fish. And with swordfish, I like to go a little bit medium rare. So I usually go two minutes aside um, and only flip it once. And the second time you flip it, you want to flip it into your indirect zone. And we can talk about that in a minute. Okay. Does that answer your question? It it does. And uh, obviously I'm set up for direct and indirect with a gas grill. But if somebody is doing it with a a charcoal grill, how do they set up for direct versus indirect heat? Okay. So um, I like to set up my charcoal grill, what I call bullseye, which is having all the charcoal in the direct center and around the outside is your indirect zone. However, a lot of people like to set up their grill to the left or the right, the back or the front. It's whatever you're comfortable with. Um, as long as you set up two zones, uh, you can do anything. So and unless you're smoking, and we can talk about that too. Chef, do you have a preference when it comes to pellet grills versus a traditional charcoal grill? Which one would you recommend? 
Well, it's funny you should ask. Um, Weber just came out with the Smoke Fire Pellet Grill, and it's a little different than everything else on the market. It has a uh, live flame in it, so you can get that live fire uh, sear on your fish or whatever and then continue to smoke. I do like pellet grills because you can get a nice flavor. Uh, The only difference between a pellet grill and, let's say, a Smoky Mountain smoker or a, uh, a kettle is you won't get as good of a smoke bark or a smoke ring. And um, that's for like professional barbecuers, and they're really into that. But the pellet grill does a great job. We have some questions for you with our mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app, Keith. And here is Joshua for you. Okay, I do have a question regarding grilling. But first, what do you think? Toe-to-toe with character. You know, you can get the guy with the D voice to do it, but, you know, it recognizes that it's Randy's segment while still giving you like that. (laughs) Question regarding grilling, though. How do you best use pellets in a simple charcoal grill? Um, Okay, so uh, get a smoker box um, or one of those smoker tubes. And what you do is light your charcoal and then set the box of the tube directly on the charcoal. Get the pellets going and um, then just uh, smoke away. You want to set up a two zone or um, what I like to do on a charcoal grill is what I call medium off medium or uh, charcoal on one side, a water pan up the middle, charcoal on the other side, and then set the pellets right on top of the charcoal. And they work great. Um, You can also do that with wood chips uh, if you use a smoker box, or you can just sprinkle wood chips directly on the charcoal. Um, And then you can also use chunks, but that's another process. Uh, Let's hear from Zach. And Zach has a question for you, Keith. Here we go. Hey, so if I'm grilling a hot dog, Obviously, if you grill them the long way, you get those nice, pleasing, aesthetic grill marks all across the hot dog. But I kind of like grilling my hot dogs the other way so that they sort of sit within the grill grates. Uh, you obviously don't get the grill marks, but it's uh, it seems better. They don't roll around as much. Am I doing this wrong? Isn't it better to just have them sit in the little grill pockets? It's all a matter uh, of preference, isn't it, Keith? It is a matter of preference, but here's what I like to do. Um, I like to take my hot dogs, and do you have a gas or a charcoal grill? A gas grill. Okay, so I like to put my hot dogs on the top rack and cook them almost a little more than halfway. And then I move them down to the direct heat, put the marks on them uh, really fast, and then finish them off in the indirect. And that way you get the aesthetics, and you don't have to really mess with them a lot. So you put them the way you talked uh, in between the racks, on your on your shelf, and then after they're partially cooked, move them down to the direct heat, and that way you get uh, the best of both worlds. Keith, we uh, talked about swordfish for me. A text from the 417 to 65780. What about tuna? What about a tuna steak? Okay, tuna is really good. Um, now, um, you could use the Weber barbecue system, which has a griddle in it. If you want to sear tuna rare, I suggest using one of the um, gourmet barbecue system griddles. However, uh, a lot of people don't have that. And what I like to do with tuna is just what I said. Uh, a lot of people like to use Asian rubs or Asian seasonings, sesame seeds, all that kind of stuff. Um, but you want to oil the outside of the fish first, season it. And with tuna, you want to go about a minute and a half 
on each side and never, uh, once you put the grill on, and this goes with the swordfish and everything else, if you're looking, you're not cooking, what you want to do is put the, put the food on, close the lid, use a timer, time it about a minute and a half, turn it over, go a minute and a half, and always use a thermometer. And uh, with tuna, I want to bring it up to about 120 to 130 degrees, and that's, that's on the rare side of medium rare. And then always let it rest before you slice it. And by the way, I have uh, one of the Weber uh, one of the Weber app devices uh, with the probe, and that makes all the difference in the world in getting to that temperature. Man, it, it makes life so easy. And when you say if you're looking, you're not cooking, all you need to do is look at your phone, and you tell you, it tells you what temperature you have. And um, that's the iGrill, correct? Yep. Okay, the iGrill is a great thing. Um, I'm going to throw in a little plug here. I have iGrill's uh, minis, twos, and threes in stock at the store today. And um, if you're looking for probes, because the probes tend to burn out really quick, and you don't notice it until you're ready to barbecue, um, like you'll get like 10 or 12 uses out of a probe. I always have the probes in stock. I have the ambient probes and the regular probes. So if you want to just run up to the Galleria Mall, uh, instead of ordering it online, uh, you can come and get it that day. Uh, Chef Keith Brockman from the Weber Grill Academy with us on 101 ESPN as we approach the holiday weekend. And we always get this when we are doing segments like this, Keith. This text from the 314, how do I do a perfect brisket? <laughs> That's a long, long process. A perfect brisket, um, I still, I've been barbecuing for 20 years and I still don't think I've ever cooked a perfect brisket because I'm always uh, so critical of it. Um, briskets are really hard. Now, I teach a, a brisket and pork butt class uh, at, the, at the Grill Academy and it would take me too long to go into it here on the radio. Uh, it, you, you, we'd be here for 20 minutes talking about uh, all the things you need to do to do a perfect brisket. So uh, what you need to do is uh, come up to the uh, Grill Academy. Uh, I also have um, a, a great book by uh, Jamie Provident Science called Barbecue, and um, it has all the recipes for making a perfect brisket in there also. Chef, is there something like a brisket where people are intimidated by it, but that you think that it's actually easier than they consider it to be? Is there something out there that, that you think a lot of people shy away from that you could say, no, I have a recipe for you, or it's, it, you should actually go out there and try it this weekend? Um, you shouldn't be intimidated by anything. I think where people get intimidated by things is the cost of the brisket or the uh, pork butt or the ribs. They're afraid that they're going to burn them. Uh, as long as you go low and slow, you're not going to burn them and use a thermometer. Um, you should never be intimidated by it. Um, because you're always going to get to eat it. It might not, not be like uh, one of these guys on TV on Barbecue Masters or something, but I guarantee you whatever you do, you're going to love it, unless you burn it, of course. And you won't do that because you, you'll, you'll, you'll be uh, excited. And we have one more mic drop for you, Keith, and this is from Ricky. Good morning, Randy Michelle. I'd like to ask Keith how he would go about smoking a whole turkey breast on a Weber kettle. Thank you very much. All right. On a kettle. Okay, so I teach that class around Thanksgiving, and it's a really good class. Now, I try to find a smaller bird, but some people like to get the bigger bird. And um, I do not like to smoke 
um, turkeys with hickory or mesquite um, or even um, uh, pecan, any of those uh, woods. I like to use cherry, apple, or peach wood because they give it a, a nice flavor. And the way I do it, and the way it shows in our our cookbook, Smoke, is you take the, uh, we use the Weber chunks, and the difference between the chunks and the chips are the chunks are about the size of your fist, and you want to put those in the bottom of each side, uh, if you're using charcoal baskets, in the bottom of the basket, and you want to load it up pretty good, about eight or nine chunks, and then um, you want to get your chimney going. Now, here's another thing. Please, please, please do not use lighter fluid. Everybody just walk right by it at the grocery store. Lighter fluid is bad. You want to use a lighter cube or an electric lighter or something that like that because all lighter fluid does is burn up your charcoal, and that's what the charcoal guys want you to do. So light your charcoal, um, get it going, and put half a chimney on either side and put a water pan up the middle. Now, the water pan does two things. It radiates the heat evenly, so your bird cooks evenly, and it catches all the drippings so your barbecue doesn't get messed up. Um, and usually with a turkey, I um, don't worry about over-smoking it. I just put in the, the, the wood chunks at the beginning, um, and depending on the size of the bird, you might have to add a little bit more charcoal but usually you're going to go about two, two and a half hours. You want to bring your turkey up to about 160. And you want to, if you want to use an eye grill or a Weber Connect, the Weber Connect actually has a recipe on it. Um, you can insert the probe right behind the leg and the wing. You want to insert your probe there because that's the slowest part, cooking part of the bird. And it'll go about two hours. Um, so you want to bring your bird up to about 160, 165, depending on how you like it. You want to take it off the grill and make sure you let it rest for about, oh, 20 minutes before you cut into it. And you will have an absolutely delicious uh, bird. Now, the other thing um, I forgot to mention was you, a lot of people marinate their birds and all that kind of stuff. I like to use a brine. And what I do is I take the bird, I drop it in a saltwater brine, usually with a little clove, a little cinnamon, in a bag when it's semi-frozen. And then I just drop it in a cooler and leave it sit in the cooler overnight. And instead of having that bird in my refrigerator, clogging up all that space in my refrigerator, that cooler will let it thaw under refrigeration and you won't have to worry about bacteria or all that kind of stuff. And then, then do not rub the bird with oil when you take it out of the brine. The brine will help all your herbs and seasonings stick to the bird. So I hope that helped you out. I do teach that class around Thanksgiving and Christmas. I usually do it about three or four times. Keith, great information. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. You have a great weekend of grilling, and hopefully we'll be okay. able to do this again. Can I get a quick plug-in? Yeah, the sure. Restaurant is, the restaurant is open. Uh, we open Tuesday. We're open from 11 till 8 o'clock, Monday, Monday through Thursday. Um, Friday and Saturday, we are going to be open till 9 o'clock, and we're following all the guidelines. Uh, please come in and check us out. And the Grill Academy, I also have... Books, charcoal, wood chunks, chips, and all the accessories. Thank you all very much for having me on today. All right, Keith, take care. That is uh, Keith Brockman from the Weber Grill Academy. Next up, we're going to talk some baseball with Evan Drellich of the Athletic and MLB Network on 101 ESPN. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.